Welcome back. Today we're going to talk about what uh, peer support is like compared to friendship or where there may be overlap. Did you, since this was your topic that you brought up, Andrew, like, did you have any kind of initial thoughts on it? Yeah. So um, should we do an icebreaker first? I forgot about the icebreaker. Oh, no. <laughs> we can make one up. <laughs> Oh, I'm really terrible at icebreakers, though. That's why I use the random icebreaker generator. <laughs> uh, let me think of one. Oh, travel. Um, where's a place you would want to travel to that you haven't been to yet? I mean, that's easy for me because I've talked about it a lot with my husband, but Japan. Um, awesome. I would want to go to one of those big arcades um, and just you know, experience the culture and the food and all that. Um, I think it would be really cool to see, like, technology that may not be as, like, common in the States and stuff like that. Yeah. Play some DDR. Yeah. And, I mean, go out to the countryside, too, because it's supposed to be really beautiful in the countryside, too. I'd love to see the Zen monasteries. Yeah. What about you? For me, um, Tibet. Always wanted oh. to see that kid. And even though it's in a weird place politically right now, I hope I get to see it before I die. <laughs> I don't know anything about politics in Tibet. <laughs> it's this basically China being an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> trying to be very tyrannical and it kicked the Tibetans out and oh. essentially they're in um, India in exile. So that, that took a very dark turn. <laughs> Sorry. I just, I didn't know anything about it. So I was like, oh, I'm curious, but. Damn. Yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for reminding me about the icebreaker. I'll try to remember next time. Yeah. <laughs> But yes, peer support and friendship. I have had people be like, so are you like a paid friend? <laughs> <laughs> so, so what are the similarities and what are the differences? Yeah, I mean, similarities, I would think. I mean, I think like the quality is like, I would want in a friendship I would also want some of those qualities in a peer support relationship <laughs> like you know somebody who is willing to like listen and hear me out um and like you feel that sense of connection you know sometimes like you can have things in common but that doesn't always mean like you're gonna feel connected or like you have that friendshipy vibe with somebody yeah um what and I mean, I think sometimes that? those relationships can overlap. Like, I've been to support groups where, like, I am there being all giving peer support, getting peer support, but then we're also friends outside of the support group. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just joined this support group. <laughs> 
it's a psychedelic support group. And, um, I uh, just met someone outside that where we had a, a video chat. She lives in Saudi Arabia. Wow. So it was, it was really interesting to hear her like experience there, especially as a woman. And, um, yeah, yeah. Um, she definitely wants to leave. <laughs> yeah, uh -huh. I mean, that sounds really interesting. <laughs> mm hmm Yeah. But, yeah. Um, well, you said about connection. So pe two people can have things in common or interests or whatever, but still not have that connection. And I think that's an interesting topic because, like, what – what builds that connection like what or what is that connection <laughs> Even. yeah i don't like i this is something i've thought about like i'm not really sure how to describe it but i guess i'll try i think um each person kind of has their own like flow and tempo with like thinking patterns and even speech patterns and kind of like how they see the world and Sometimes it feels like people are on a different frequency or tempo than others. Um, so like for me, I tend to like notice details fairly quickly. Like if I'm learning something new, sometimes I'll be like ahead of the person trying to explain what to do because I'm just like clicking on a bunch of stuff, <laughs> you know, like I'm just like, oh, I'm really curious about like what this does and what this does. And I'll just start like experimenting and like not really paying attention to the instructions <laughs> so um i think that some of that connection can be like maybe connecting more with people who are on that like faster pace and if people feel like a little bit like you know slower and they're not able to keep up or maybe i have to keep like explaining things multiple times because it's not making sense the first time then i start to feel disconnected mm -hmm. um it's hard to like i don't even know what you would call that <laughs> yeah yeah i've been thinking about this lately in the sense of intellectual discussion and I don't like saying it because it sounds elitist, but um, <laughs> I do have this like restless part of me that like really loves to go deep diving into certain topics and pulling them apart. And I actually really love debate and I, I really want someone as long as they're being intellectually honest and have good intent to like throw arguments my way and like kind of, yeah, yeah just, just give me their all. Like, I, I like that. And, um, I've been trying to understand more um, around sociology and what's what's going on in society and understanding history and how we got to where we are now. So it's just, yeah, I've been wanting that kind of like conversation with people. Um, this feels like a risky thing to say in this podcast, but um, um, I, I feel like one of the things that has made connection difficult lately is just the intense polarization. And for me, like, I, I need room to express ideas and do so in a safe way that, like, doesn't feel judgmental and is open. Um, so this was really hard for me once things in our society started to get polarized. 
it kind of felt unsafe. Like it felt like I've heard this from, from different sites too. I, I don't think this is exclusive to any like one particular side. Um, but yeah, it's a weird landscape to be in when you're trying to find connection. Yeah. Sometimes. And it's hard to, cause like I tend to not think of things as like this side or that side anymore. <laughs> and sometimes even hearing that can like make me disconnect. And I think that's like one of the cool things about peer support and like why I really enjoyed it was like being able to provide that non-judgmental space for other people. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, it's hard when it feels like that is not something I mean, even before the pandemic, like that was something that a lot of people, you know, could not hold space for is like other worldviews. And it's just like gotten more magnified over time. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think it's important to focus on like what common ground there is and also like learn about why other people believe what they do, think what they do, because maybe you'll learn something that changes your own perspective. I'm curious about, you said you don't see sides anymore. How did you get to that point? And like, what, yeah, what does that look like or feel like? Well, I'm not going to say I don't completely, you know, there's still a little bit of that. And usually it's when it's, self-expressed when somebody you know for example if somebody's like don't vote this way because then this is going to happen you should only vote this way and it's like well now you're just making something totally into like this side and that side i think part of it has been my connections my relationships and being able to discuss different perspectives has helped me to see that. I think that if I only was around people who had similar opinions to me, then it would probably be really easy to just feel like, oh, I want, I just want to continue that. Like, I don't want to, I don't feel like I need to be around people who have like different perspectives because it's wrong. Um, so I, I mean, I could see how that's an easy trap to fall into because I've been there <laughs> and yeah. it's through like having those connections and like seeing why other folks may have different beliefs has helped me expand that a little bit. We never answered what the difference was <laughs> between your support and friendship. A little tangent. <laughs> um. It brought up a question though that I, I'd like to loop back to at some point. Sure. So, so yeah. Uh, so the friend versus peer thing, or connection? Yeah. What is connection? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For me, it's like home. It's like it just feels natural. It's like I don't have to force force anything. I guess. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I mean, I think there can definitely be a lot of overlap in peer support and friendship, probably where the differences lie is like when one person's getting paid <laughs> to do peer support. Um, yeah. Cause it brings in a different power dynamic. I think, you know, probably in, well, I don't want to say early days of peer support, but you know, 
when peer support was like more of a grassroots movement <laughs> and even in certain settings now like it probably makes sense that those things would like overlap a lot and um you know i i don't want to say that like just because you've provided peer support to somebody um and been paid to do it doesn't mean you can never be their friend <laughs> like I, I don't think those things are mutually exclusive but i think it brings in an extra layer of complication and like needing to have awareness around your your power and influence um yeah totally i <laughs> i tried doing this like being friends with somebody who i'd provided peer support to and i think it it just felt very unbalanced like the other person seemed like eternally grateful to me like i'd saved their life or something like that and it just didn't feel like there was mutuality in that relationship because it was just so one one-sided almost i was like yeah you know i'm happy to hang out go do this fun thing but the whole it was all about like you kept me alive and i'm like whoa that's a lot of pressure <laughs> yeah <laughs> And, you know, it's possible I could have, like, expressed that with the person and explored that, but I, obviously at the time, I kind of just, like, let it fade out. Um, but, yeah, and, you know, not every situation is going to be the same. But it, that was where I really felt like, oh, you know, this is why, like, there should probably be some, you know, mindfulness and care around these types of situations and not just, like jumping into it and yeah and it's like oh you know yeah I, I just wonder about like if you ha go through the regular ups and downs of a friendship with that person but then you also have this like feeling indebted to them or something you know what kind of impact is that going to have emotionally right and I mean though it is true in friendships too that that can happen yeah, like I've been in situations where um, I've, you could say, helped save people's lives and they've helped save mine. And But I think it helps to have like some kind of common ground first or something like some kind of um, foundation first, because if you're building the relationship on that, then it definitely. Yeah, I think part of the problem was we didn't really have anything in common aside from the fact that like I had given this person peer support. <laughs> like... <laughs> Mm -hmm. I think it's different if, like, there is something that you both have that could justify a friendship, like a shared interest or something like that, to build upon, not just like, oh, you know, we met and I felt, like, really supported by you, so that means we should be friends. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah, I've... So I was talking to a friend and he brought up this concern and it really got me thinking. So it's someone who I think would make a really great peer and he's expressed interest in becoming one, but he says he has a hang up around it because he doesn't want to feel like a paid friend. Like he, he feels like, I guess he feels what peer support stands for is something that should be part of friendship. And, and I've had a couple people actually mention that. Um, yeah, another friend. I mean, it, 
if peer support was a part of all friendships, I don't think we'd need a mental health system. <laughs> yeah. That that wouldn't need to exist. So it's a nice thought. I I mean, I think there's a lot of work to do to get to that point. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, like, peer supports don't just, like, you know, some of what peers do is, like, hanging out, but... I think there's also like a skill building component, a component around like supporting people to build their lives to create meaning. And there's this mindful and thoughtful approach to it that you may not necessarily find in a friendship because it's not like, you know, like I've become friends with you, Andrew, and I'm like, okay, you know, we're gonna like both talk about the ways to like make our lives more meaningful. We like we could do that, but that's not really like a natural progression in a in most friendships. <laughs> like yeah, yeah. it's probably gonna be more like let's go, you know, hang out at the park and talk. Let's go like to the arcade or whatever. And that's stuff a peer support can do too. But it's about the intention, so. Yeah, it's like, I kind of hear the concern, but it's also like, it's not really that, (laughs) so. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. I mean, in some aspects, it's kind of like life coaching. Yeah, somewhat. Although, like, I don't know, I don't know that much about life coaching. Like, I know there's certifications for it and, like, you can also, depending on the state, it's, like, more regulated than others. Yeah, yeah. So in some states, you can just, like, say you're a life coach. You can't always just, like, go and say, you know, I mean, you can say you're a peer, but, like, you can't just, like, say you're a peer support specialist and, like, yeah. advertise exactly. your services. You have to be, like, registered in Oregon, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely definitely more regulated. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I sometimes see... In some job descriptions, they'll use like the term peer coach. Mm-hmm. And I've even seen like the term wellness coach pop up a bit, and it's basically like a peer. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think those language choices are a little bit arbitrary. Like, yeah. <laughs> they may just call it a coach to like make it sound a little more important or something. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I I don't know. I mean, I've even heard, like, the term specialist criticized. Like, why are we saying, you know, peers are supposed to be, like, on level footing with other folks. Like, we shouldn't say they're, like, a specialty, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, yeah. Well, that's a whole, whole conversation, too. Um, so I, I know someone who... She's been involved in the peer movement for a long time. And she has a lot of concerns around peers just being professionals. <laughs> like she um well she was on the scenes with like the grassroots movement and I think she's seen like a lot of changes to peer support since then. And maybe there's like a lamentation there of um or sense of loss of like this is what peer support used to be and this is what's become yeah i mean i was like kind of reviewing some of the history the other day 
um, because I was actually looking on a website that I had used before and some of the links were broken and I reached out to them and I was like, this is really important history. Like, please fix these links because I don't know where else to find this information. <laughs> um, yeah. And thankfully they fixed it within like a couple of hours. And so I was looking at some stuff and yeah, once the peer movement started taking money from the mental health system, a lot of folks like were done with the movement. They're like, what are you doing? We were supposed to be making alternatives, not taking money from the system. So yeah, there's definitely a point where it really diverged in the philosophy because for some folks it was like, well, we want to create jobs for people who have mental health challenges that mm -hmm. like they're using their experience for something they deserve to get paid for. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for other folks, it was like, this is something that every human should do. It shouldn't be like, yeah, it's hard. I mean, I, I really, like, I see both perspectives and it's, I, I think it's tough because like, I, since I was young, have always been like a caring person and, you know, would go out of my way to like, listen to people vent and stuff like that. And, you know, I got something out of that prior to like it ever being something that I got paid to do. So I, I feel like I have like a talent in that sense, you know, a skill that's been built upon many years. And I think it's something that I'm really grateful that I can make a living doing that. Um, I do see how it would be desirable if everyone could do that, but I just, I don't think everybody's capable <laughs> of that right now. You know, like there would have to be some kind of like education that everybody gets on like, how to have basic listening skills <laughs> and because some yeah. people, they just never, that was never a priority. That's true. That's true. And it's not really taught. No. And there's not always time for it. If you were growing up, like trying to survive, you're in survival mode. There's not going to be time to do things like listen to other people vent about their problems. Yeah. Yeah, like what you said earlier, if <laughs> if um, friendships were meeting the needs that peer support offers, then there wouldn't really be a mental health system. Or you could say the same thing about therapy, you know, it's like, if we had communities and if we had like a social environment that supported wellness instead of like exacerbating it, like, it, it would just, it would be different. Yeah. That could lead to a whole other, <laughs> like, dark discussion, though, because... It, yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, just, like, we can say that would create a better society, but that's not, like, what drives um, income <laughs> for large, com you know, companies, or that's not what, like, 
keeps mm-hmm. people's attention. What keeps people's attention is fear and yeah. You know, that's our survival brain was made to do that. So it's it really takes a lot of work to rewire your brain to not be reacting from that place of fear and navigate relationships in a different way. So Yeah. My mind's going in a few different directions. I I guess I'll just I'll just say whatever the hell comes up. Okay. So I don't know if you're familiar with Charles Eisenstein, but he wrote this book called Sacred Sacred Economics. And one of the central themes of that book is that in American society, we've seen this depletion of the commons and the commons is just the space where it's like collectively shared. It's, it's the place where communities built effectively. And basically that corporations over time have been taken away from the commons and even the government to some extent to the point where there's very little commons left compared to what it used to be. And there's a lot more commercialization around things the commons used to offer. So, um, I mean, just the one example of like support, you know, when there's more of a sense of community, there's more emotional support there for people. But there's also, um, it's it's kind of like the, the mindset that we have right now, it's, it's everything's commercialized and it's still continuing to it's like it's like everything is becoming monetized to some degree um yeah you could even make the argument that time is monetized just with ads you know like how ads are everywhere it's like that's taking away time and attention and trying to make a profit so yeah, I mean, sometimes I like ad breaks, though, because then it reminds me to, like, do things like go to the bathroom. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, there's that. <laughs> there's definitely that, yeah. Um, but it's just such a different landscape. It's um, The message has been so pounded into our heads that it's it's hard for us to think of a life outside that, like, where... Well, because if you talk to people about maybe leaving their job or doing something different. Usually the biggest fear that comes up is, well, how do I survive? Like, what if this doesn't work out, what happens? And if you're in theory, if you're embedded in a strong community that can like be there to support you, I think there, there'd be less fear. I know that sounds like kind of um, like a pipe dream, but, Part of the fear is is the fact that everything has is so commercialized. Like, um, if you really think about it, like we're not really try not to be absolute with this, but we're we're not really allowed to grow our own food. We're not really land itself is owned. You know, it's owned by the government, and then you have to buy it, and then it's like it changes owners you know and so for most people you can't just walk up to like a plot of land and plant some seeds in there and be like okay here's here's our garden right (laughs) and i i have a friend whose dad lived through the great depression 
And he said, that's what people had to do to survive. Like literally they found like an empty lot across the street and planted food and fished and that's how they survived because the economy had like collapsed. So a lot of people, they weren't able to buy, buy food. Um, so they had to get creative and it seems like just because so many people had to do that, things had collapsed. Like there was, um, maybe less enforcement around rules preventing that or just more, um, I don't know, flexibility. Yeah, a lot less laws and regulations back then. <laughs> and that too. Yeah. Maybe there is that too. Yeah. But yeah, just the fact that they were able to do that, yeah. I think it, it speaks volumes. And when he reflects on it, he, he was saying that we actually ate, we ate very well and we were really healthy. And most of his, um, I'm sure genetics had a part to do with this too, but like, you know, most of his family were, they lived really long lives and were in great shape when they passed. And, you know, like, so, whereas today, you know, it's like, the mindset is we, we have to buy everything to survive. We have to buy clothes. We have to buy food. We have to buy childcare. We have to buy everything like, like childcare. That's another good example. Like when there's more community, the community supports the children. It's like, you don't necessarily have to pay for childcare. Yeah. I mean, clothes are a good one too, because I like, I almost feel like my urges to be more, um, to keep things around have just been like really discouraged by people around me. Like, I'm like, oh, you know, there's a hole in my shoe. I should look up how to like sew the hole in my shoe or like learn how to do that. And then people are like, why don't you just buy new shoes? Mm -hmm. Why don't you try to fix something that's already like, it's like a tiny little hole. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Or so it's like, folks in my community are just like, what are you talking about? Instead of like, you know, like I would think the normal thing to do would be like, oh, like I know someone who knows how to do that. Let's teach you how to do that. And then you can learn that skill and like make your clothes last longer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I could see yeah. that becoming more of a thing if, if, <laughs> we knock on wood have a another economic collapse <laughs> um i feel like people have been saying that for the past like two years now <laughs> like yeah, just yeah. Wait for it it's coming like when's it coming <laughs> not saying when or anything but just saying if we yeah, do i know it's just like yeah <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I've become so jaded. I'm like, if the economy is going to collapse, can it just happen already? Like, let's get it over with. That's how I feel too. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like enough, enough anticipation. Just screw yeah, it. Yeah. Cause it's like, if you keep talking about it and building it up and then it's like, well, it's, we're still, you know, things are still inflating you know so yeah 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 <laughs> yeah um 
I wanted to go back to the topic of polarization because I think that's an interesting thing for peers to to explore because I mean we work with different kinds of people and it's just inevitable we're gonna end up working with someone who shares like a different worldview than we have or has opinions that are like potentially really triggering yeah so and i i haven't talked to enough peers about this but i do wonder sometimes if that perspective is shifting to like well you know if somebody has a different opinion you know we need to educate them and help them you know come to the correct opinion mm. <laughs> um which isn't peer to peer no and I, 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 yeah, the, there are a few problems with that. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's happened to me. I think, like, in the situation that I was in, I was lucky to be able to, like, swap out with a different member of my team and be like, hey, you know, this person said, you know, they, they made, like, a racist comment about a certain part of town that they work in um and you know basically i just, i was just able to swap out with somebody who that type of language didn't really bother them as much um you know it's possible like in the spirit of mutuality i could have been like hey you know when you said this term i don't i don't want to repeat it but mm -hmm. that was kind of upsetting for me and yeah. You know, I would just appreciate if you think about, like, the impact using those types of words might have. Even if, like, I'm not a member of that community, it can still come off as pretty insulting. Um, and just, you know, leave that out there. You know, maybe that would be the end of the peer relationship still. But being yeah. able to authentically say, hey, like... I didn't really jive with that. <laughs> yeah. I've had to do that with a peer <laughs> a couple times. Yeah. Um, and it was really uncomfortable and awkward. <laughs> but he did he did end up respecting it though. He um I think he was taken aback at first by it, but when he saw how much it bothered me, I think he um I think it hit him and we already had like a good relationship prior to that. So I think, uh, because of that, like he was able to like self-reflect and consider like, yeah, maybe I shouldn't use this word, at least not use it around him. So. Yeah. So I think discussing impact could, you know, potentially be a part of that, but I don't, ever want to act like my, you know, worldview is somehow, like, better than somebody else's and I need to teach them how to have mine. That's, yeah. I think that's, yeah. peer support is about being able to, like, respect other worldviews. So I do, if, you know, for example, like, <laughs> Just thinking about like the conversations around like getting vaccinated, you know, I, I mean, I got vaccinated and that was my choice. Um, 
but hearing discussions around like we need to you know encourage people to do this and like kind of like that's the only outcome that person can have you know mm. you don't know like what what if the person has legitimate concerns because i know somebody who um got the first uh vaccine and um she started having like all of these really strange symptoms um just feeling like her feet were in cold water all the time and like all these really like intense sensations and stuff and um she's a researcher you know she's really really smart and she was like she never got the second one and she was like there's a lot of um suppression around voicing having negative impacts from the vaccine because it's mm -hmm. seen as like having a certain political view and you know you should just be saying oh everybody should get this um i i think it should still be a choice and i don't know i i have i have like opinions mm -hmm. on that because yeah yeah and, and and as a peer like it's not our role to like coerce people or pressure them into something it's like it i feel like our role is more like on the one hand like you said to share our if it's something that's really impacting us then you know to share it in the spirit of mutuality and then on the other hand if we notice that it's something that is causing a barrier for them to like explore that with like meaningful questions but not to like impose like to to uncover like, like one example I can think of is if um, they're wanting to go to like a particular meeting or event or something where it's like COVID um, vaccine mandated and they don't have the vaccine and maybe they're feeling like frustration around that to like, that could be like an opportunity to explore um, like the pros and cons, like um, yeah, going, going to that group versus not being vaccinated or finding another group or so. yeah or not being able to get certain jobs <laughs> you know or, yeah yeah i mean yeah for, for real like so um but we shouldn't be like coercing it should be like helping them come to their own answers you know just it's just like asking good questions to to help them reflect on like what's what's important to them you know yeah and it's when you have really lives in the balance and an overstrained medical system. I also like see how that can bring up reactivity in people. But I think sometimes what people forget is that if you react in that way, you can just reinforce the other person's position more. You're not influencing mm -hmm. them to come to your opinion. It's, mm -hmm. Yeah, it just like further creates that division. So it's kind of like, I don't know, it's a weird, weird cycle we're in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm not sure where to go with this. Do you, is anything coming up? 
Well, I was, I guess I was kind of thinking about like, um, yeah, like how do you, you know, provide peer support when you're working with somebody who you may like really disagree with or has maybe done things in their past that you think you have strong opinions about? <laughs> yeah. What's coming up for me around that is internal family systems. It's this model of, of therapy that um, it, it sees the human being as having like different parts of themselves. And it's like, I mean, the most basic example is like when we're trying to make a decision, it's like part of us wants to do something, but part of us doesn't like, oh, I want to buy this car, but part of me doesn't want to buy this car. But yeah, just the most basic example, but um goes deeper into like you know the inner child the um protector the inner critic these different aspects of ourselves and ifs theory says that um we can become blended with a part of ourselves where we like identify with that part and in that moment we sort of forget our access to the other parts of ourselves so it's like it's like tunnel vision and that's kind of what happens with triggers. Like when we get triggered, it's like there's a part that's being activated. And we identify solely with that part. And IFS would recommend unblending, which is basically um, the simplest way to do that is to simply notice that you're identifying with the part. And just the noticing, just the awareness of that creates a little bit of distance. Mm -hmm. And then from there, you can start to kind of communicate with the part and even kind of like ask it to like, Hey, um, give me a bit more space. <laughs> like, you know? Yeah. It sounds silly. I have been trying this more lately and it, it does work. It just takes a little bit of concentration, but it only takes a, a couple moments. And so like, so like if I'm noticing like anxiety, I guess the first or like, Let's say like I'm with a person and they're saying something and it like triggers this anxiety in me. I might first like notice like the sensation in my body, like where that is strongest. Cause that's like the easiest way you can start to observe and create a little distance. And then um, recognize like, Oh, I'm identifying with part of myself. That's like anxious about this. Hmm. And then I can be like, okay, anxious part of myself please give me a little bit of space. I'm not trying to reject you. I just, I need a little space because this is too much right now. Yeah, it's kind of like with um, somatic therapy when you're like, thank you body for protecting me, but I don't need protection right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. That's that's exactly it, yeah. Oh, my, my camera got all blurry for a second. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and and so like that's that might be all someone can do in the moment um and then maybe after the fact when they're by themselves they could like explore that deeper and be like um okay anxiety like what do you have to share like what what message do you have where is this coming from um show me a memory if there's a memory related to this like self-reflection 
Yeah. 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 It's hard for a lot of people to have that level of awareness. Yeah, it, it definitely takes practice and, and like a um, really strong intention to do it. I, I think, well, I mean, it's, it's easy. It's, it's just really easy. It's kind of normal to, you know, become identified with different parts. And um, it's, it's a really new thing to, to learn how to like create that distance. But, you know, it's like any, any kind of skill. Yeah, I think <laughs> my brain is going in different directions too. I, I think it's, it's like, yes, you can build the skill. And I think a lot of people are in a place where like, there's not that awareness yet uh, that there's even a problem because mm -hmm. They feel like they're correct. They feel like they're morally correct in their stance. I'm not even speaking about any political view in particular. There's a sure. lot of people, <laughs> regardless yeah. of where you fall on the spectrum. Yeah, yeah. They are like, I'm morally correct and I'm angry about it. So I'm just going to keep being in this place because it's the right thing to do. Yeah. So there's not even awareness that there is something else <laughs> that mm -hmm. could be worked on, you know? And yeah, I mean, the first step really is willingness. And if they're not willing to do it, I mean, there's no, no way they can go further with that. But, um, but as like peers, if we're willing to do that kind of work, at least to have the awareness, then it can be literally as simple as like, can go from like saying, I'm angry about this. And then the next second being like, Oh, I have anger about this. Mm. Like just that subtle distinction in language. And then being like, oh, where is my anger in my body? Oh, it's it's in my chest, it's in my throat. Okay. Just like, yeah, just those two questions is enough to to create that awareness. Yeah, and I mean I think like as peers sometimes like we can ask questions that like also invite in <laughs> that self-reflection that mm -hmm. people may have not thought about before. Um, I remember someone who uh, I had trained in peer support and he had received peer support previously. And then through the training, he was like, oh, I'm starting to understand like why my peer keeps asking me all these questions. And I don't know why the hell she's asking these questions. Like now I'm, yeah. I'm getting like, <laughs> Yeah, now it puts... this is, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I could see it being useful. That's a good point. And it's making me think like, maybe sometimes we should like give a little debriefer. At, at, like when we're um, starting to work with someone as a peer, like we're about to ask a question, just be like, this is why I'm asking these questions or uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I, mean, I, framing. I think it depended on the person, but usually I would explain to people like, you know, usually I just listen a lot and, you know, I may ask like open-ended questions be, just because I want to understand your perspective. You know, I don't want to like push my own 
agenda or perspective onto you. Like, I, I want to know what you're thinking. So mm -hmm. um, I think usually, like, that would help. And, you know, sometimes, like, people don't respond very well to that. They're like, why are you just, like, not saying anything? And I'm like, I, I'm, I'm listening. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, has no one listened to you before? <laughs> I mean, it could be. But, yeah, some people don't like that. They're like, just tell me what to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As a peer, we have to, like, adapt. Yeah. Yeah. And that's fine. I mean, in those situations, usually I'd be like, if you need someone to tell you what to do, I'm not the right person. <laughs> that makes yeah. somebody else. Yeah, totally. Because I don't, like, I, I don't really, maybe in my management position a bit, but, like, I don't really, like, go around commanding people, like, in my relationships to, like, yeah, yeah. ordering people around, you know? <laughs> I'm very, like, uh, yeah, that makes me uncomfortable. I'm not going to do that. Yeah. I'm going to give you, like, big life advice. Because then I'm, I'm, like, what, if I give you advice and then it goes sideways, then that's my fault, you know? I mean, oh. really, but like, that's how I kind of feel about it. I'm like, I don't want to mm. tell somebody to do something. You know, it's one thing if they specifically ask, but I think when it gets to a point of like, just tell me, well, like, stop asking me all these questions, listening, whatever, just tell me. Then I'm like, okay, I'm I'm not really the right person for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What's coming up with that is, um, I've heard some people say, and I've had this experience too with some therapists in the past of where they just kind of sit there and listen, but they don't say anything meaningful. It's just like, that can be frustrating too. <laughs> I've had, well, um, yeah, and I mean, I'd like to hope that I wasn't doing that, but sometimes people just yeah. keep talking and there's no like, like yeah, I wait yeah. for a break in what they're saying to respond and they just keep talking and talking, maybe because they're uncomfortable and then they're like, why aren't you saying anything? I'm like, You've been talking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. They don't even realize it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I wasn't I wasn't saying that to, to imply that. No, I know, know, but I, I have had experiences like that. Me. Like one time I called the warm line and everything I said, the other person on the end of the line was just like, Oh, wow. Oh. And after like the fifth, yeah. like, oh wow, I was just like, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> at that point you can just automate it and just like record yeah, the okay, oh, I awesome. need to talk to my cat like I don't need to talk to you <laughs> yeah yeah your cat's more interesting at that point <laughs> yeah at least he'll meow and you know roll around or something <laughs> yeah 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 yeah, it is kind of a balance. For sure. Um, I try to have, like, you know, I think I tend to be more a person where I, I'll just sit and listen and let somebody, like, talk themselves out, and then I'll kind of, like, reflect after then. Um, but, yeah. you know, everyone's different in, like, their style of how they support people. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I was reading yesterday about um, Myers-Briggs being um, like having a different personality profile 
and sort of leaning into that so trying to be like something that you're not essentially it isn't mm -hmm. I, I mean the theme of it doesn't have to be like spe specific to myers-briggs it's just the idea of like not trying to like be something that you're not and just using your own natural like strengths and personality and working with it so like if someone's introverted like not trying to be extroverted and talk a lot just to like please the other person but just like going naturally into like your i guess inquisitive strengths and observational skills yeah, and vice versa if you're extroverted and, you know yeah and, and that makes sense i think like for me i i have times where i have a lot to say but it takes me time to like think and process and then like form the thought <laughs> so listening first helps me with that um and you know there doesn't always have to be talking involved like i've sat in silence with people and done coloring or a puzzle or whatever um mm -hmm. and sometimes that like just holding that space can invite in further conversation too yeah I think there's a lot of usefulness too to having like some in some cases like opposite personality types because like if um someone's extroverted and they're with another person who's extroverted like it might feel like natural but it's also gonna um in some way be kind of like more the same whereas with when there was someone who's introverted it like sort of creates an opening or it's, it's like a difference that like maybe the extroverted person isn't used to slowing down their thoughts and being like self-reflective. And so it could be like potentially healing to be with someone who's sort of helping them to do that or just they're that way. And so there's just like a mirroring that can happen. And Yeah, for sure. I mean, and sometimes people don't want to talk to someone who's similar to them, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. I want to talk to somebody different you know makes up the energy <laughs> yeah yeah sometimes if 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 you're stuck that helps <laughs> throw the pot a bit well that's why i've had like i got into a lot of weird situations <laughs> at uh one of my prior jobs because people were like oh you know you're younger Nabelle. like let's just pair you up with the younger people and i'm like oh yeah you know i got into a lot of weird situations because sometimes it was like they actually got along better talking with somebody older. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I mean, it wasn't always like that, but we can't, you know, assume, like I was talking about before, we can't assume, like, yeah. certain commonalities are going to, like, create instant connection. I have a friend who's, who's a female who says she gets along way better with guys. <laughs> like... She prefers talking with guys. Yeah. And, and yeah. Yeah, and I, I mean for myself too, like I, mean, I have some friends my age, but I also have a lot of friends who are like much older than me, like twenty years older. And it's <laughs> yeah, I I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, ever since I was a kid, like, I was, for some reason, always drawn to, like, older adults. 
yeah, and we can't predict what the connection point is going to be. Like, it could be a lot of different things. So, yeah, you got to have like that desire to want to be around somebody. <laughs> Definitely. I don't know. I guess maybe we should do our outro icebreaker. <laughs> I don't know what you want to call that because we did another sure. um, thing at the end. I, I got one one last question though that just came up. Mm -hmm. um, so it's around like when you're closing someone out as a peer and mm -hmm. they're um, transitioning to that next step. What kind of that like that next step looks like? Because um, like with the friendship, like, like another like key difference is like, there's no timeline on it. It's like once you're friends, you're friends. You're not thinking ahead about like, oh, right. yeah, we got to end this friendship at, on this date. Which <laughs> 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 would be a really <laughs> awkward. Like a little weird. But but with yeah, a peer relationship, like there's there is that expectation, and that can be a tricky process. Well, and that depends on the setting, because there are some settings where peer support can be indefinite, but yes, um, yeah, and the next, the next step really depends. I mean, I do think about, like, is there a possibility this person could come back to um, receive the same service again, uh, because I wouldn't you know, if we were like friends and then that ended badly, I wouldn't want to then they feel like, oh, now I don't want to go to this place and get this service because like I had a falling out with <laughs> so-and-so and wouldn't want to go. Because like, I, that's something that I would do. I'd be like, man, I don't want to see this person. It's really awkward. I'm just never going to go to that place ever again. <laughs> I've yeah. done, you know, I, I've done that like in my life. I'm like, ugh. I'm not going to go to this particular grocery store on this street anymore because I might see somebody, you know, there, you know. I think a lot of people, yeah. Yeah. I've definitely done that, yeah. Um, I think it's also, it, it's, it's hard, you know, I, I think it's good to have, like, nuanced conversations about it because with other um, roles, like a therapist, or social worker, you know, you have your ethical guidelines that say, like, this amount of time needs to pass. We don't have that with peer support right now, at least not in Oregon. And I don't know if that's a thing in other areas, other states, other parts of the world, but, you know, at least in Oregon, we don't have that, like, you have to wait at least a year or whatever to, like, be friends with the person. Yeah. Um, I six months is kind of the in, informal guideline, right? That was something that was came up with at one of the prior places we worked, but there's not really um, anything. And I I think it's hard to when like if you're working as a peer as a part of a team like in a clinical setting, and then that peer has like really different boundaries around friendship then the rest of the team like that can be confusing mm. um yeah i think you know it is a different relationship so i'm not saying like you can't have that but it you know it, it's hard 
and I also think about like, okay, if, you know, if I'm willing to, you know, give my personal number, my personal email to one person, like, am I willing to do that for everyone? You know, if somebody else like, you know, and I, I just think about like residential programs. Cause like, that's a lot of what I'm working with right now. You know, somebody else in that residential program might hear, Oh, you know, so-and-so gave out their email to this person, but not to me. Like, why wouldn't they give that to me? You know, and mm-hmm. that kind of stuff can like yeah. create other dynamics. And I mean, you know, those types of thoughts, I think it, there is a little bit of fear based there. I, I think ideally you could like have an open conversation about it, but then like the clinical people on the, you know, on the team are gonna be like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so it's like you have to like, have that well defined before you just, you know, yeah. have to be autonomy for the peer to be able to do that and not lose their job. Yeah, <laughs> uh, definitely. It, so yeah, it's it's like tough because there's no clear answer. I think there's a lot of considerations that go into it, but I don't think it should be completely closed off as a possibility. Um, I do agree with not like entering into like a romantic or sexual relationship with somebody you've provided peer support to. I mean, it kind of depends on how long and like stuff, but I just feel like uh, the power dynamics would not be great. (laughs) Um, That would be, that would be harder than the friendship. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and I, I'm. I know it's happened. I'm not saying it's Im- impossible. <laughs> um, and there's not really any research on this for peers, but I do know that like people who have entered into a relationship with um, someone that they had as a therapist, the rate of PTSD is like incredibly high. I think it's like over eighty percent. So. Jeez. Yeah, so it's like PTSD from being in the relationship, or like, or people who have PTSD from like, you know, having that therapy relationship with someone and then going into like romantic sexual relationship and then it's just there can be a lot of other like things that happen and I I've just a lot of stuff around this but you know. For example, like one situation I listened to, there was somebody who like their therapist, like not only, you know, entered into a relationship with them, but they were also supporting this person outside of their regular appointments and regular hours at like random times of day. And so when that therapist, there was a time this person wanted support from them and then she was not available, then that person, um, ended up uh using alcohol after or not for a very long time and it kind of like cascaded into all this other like stuff you know basically that they started spiraling because they had been getting like all the support from this person and then it also makes it so usually when like when that something like that happens then it's incredibly difficult afterwards to like want to see a therapist again <laughs> understandably like it destroys a lot of trust with like folks in that role so peers are not therapists but i do think there's something to consider there of like what could the potential harm be and it wasn't just 
entering the relationship, it was also the fact that like there was additional support happening that maybe that therapist was kind of like going outside of boundaries that she should have had. <laughs> um, yeah. To, you know, so yeah, it's not just like the relationship itself. It's like kind of everything else that kind of goes along with that. And those are important considerations, like as a, as a provider to, to look at all those factors before going in that direction. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, on the topic of friendship, I, I think it's really important to like, I think having a little bit of space is a good idea because I, w I would like the person to have space to think about, do I really want to be friends with this peer because, you know, we have like a strong friendship connection, we have something in common to be able to build that friendship off of, does it really feel like it could be mutual or did I just feel really supported by this peer support person? And I want to continue that peer support relationship as a friendship. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because if that's the right. case, maybe what you need is to just find a different peer support. <laughs> yeah. No, that's a good question. That's a really good question. Yeah, because it's not sustainable for like people working in peer roles either to be like giving emotional support to like you know, infinite amount of people that they encounter in their work and then also start giving that support in their personal life is like, yeah, that's not going to work. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> Definitely does not. <laughs> yeah, it's like, so, you know, like being able to describe to the person, you know, this is what I'm like in a friendship. So, you know, not only would I be supporting you, but there may be times like I would hope that you would provide space to give me support. Mm -hmm. And like, is that something you've thought about? Like, is that something you're able to do? That might be really different. <laughs> yeah. There definitely needs to be some clarity around that for sure. Yeah. Or like. You know, I know that in this peer sport relationship, I've been taking you out for coffee and like, you know, all this stuff, all this peer support stuff that we do. But if yeah. we were friends, I probably want to like hang out at home or like play a multiplayer video game together, or, you know, like, yeah, how it's going to look like different in that context and like making sure the person understands that i could see though like i don't know if maybe you know if you have like a really strong interest in music and like so does the other person and you know you kind of connect over like that shared interest and like maybe that could you know could lead to friendship so i think being able to explore those possibilities like authentically um, and yeah also like the peer having boundaries themselves and being like, you know, for me, I wouldn't, I, I think I wouldn't want to like open that door and just be like, now I have like a ton more people to keep, you know, keep track of like friendship wise. Mm -hmm. And just yeah. like, 
I feel like I would just get overwhelmed and I'm like, you know, I like having some connections through meeting people in other ways, not like through the peer support that I do professionally. Yeah. Um, or like, you know, do you want that separation between your work life and your personal life? Could those could like start blending together and yeah. Like it's very messy and it leads to burnout quick. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it's right for, like, organizations to be like, oh, you gave somebody your personal number, we're going to write you up and, you know, like, punishing in that way, more like asking questions. Like, I did have this come up with a peer that I supervised, and I was like, so I think you should think about, like, if you're going to give this person your personal email, like, is that something you're willing to do for anybody who... leaves this program and he ended up not doing that so um consideration with that too is like if if you do preserve per, sorry pursue a friendship with them and it doesn't work out and it's something that they take personally that could like in some ways damage the it's like as a peer like i think one of our our roles is to help people um build like positive reinforcement around like being able to connect with other people and trust people have healthy relationships and it's like if we damage that then in a way it like i don't think it completely undoes all the work we've done with them but it it definitely like changes that association it, it's like it, it does if they already had a problem trusting people and then they start trusting us and because it doesn't work out that trust is broken then in a way it is kind of like undoing the work that we did with that person Well, absolutely. And I think sometimes too, it can, it can be healthy to like talk about how sometimes we have really good connections that end and that's okay. Sometimes that's an opportunity to have new connections. I just thinking about my own experiences of like really trying to hold on to connections as long as possible, like past their expiration date. <laughs> um, I think talking through some of that and like being able to have like a close and a goodbye and like end on a positive note can be healing for some folks who have had, you know, things end in chaotic and unexpected ways. <laughs> That's true too. Yeah. I'm just thinking of a situation where I, um, ended up becoming friends with someone that I worked with and it was like probably eight or nine months after I stopped working with them. Um, and we had a really great connection. Like I felt like it was very like easygoing and, I felt very good about going into it. He felt very good about going into it, but 
what became a, a challenge was um, kind of ironically going back to what we were talking about earlier of um, I was feeling triggered by some of the conversation topics coming up and mm. I um, I think I leaned a little bit too heavily into trying to change his mind and um, I did try to listen to some extent but I also like send him YouTube videos and stuff and like um, got counterpoints and um like looking back on it now, I recognize like there was a part of me that was concerned about where he was going with this line of thought because it was like kind of um, he was going down some deep rabbit holes that I didn't see as healthy, and I was also concerned about like the impact it would have on my mental emotional health, like with where he was going with certain things. So. Yeah, I, I didn't really have a good conversation with him about that. Um, and when I finally did try to have that conversation and validate where he was coming from, it was kind of too late. And um, I'll just say like he, um, so I initiated that conversation and then he responded and some stuff that was going through some emotional stuff. So it took me a while to like respond to him because of that timing. He felt like I was ignoring him. So he um, just didn't want to talk after that. Yeah. And um, yeah, I remember one of his responses, his last response was like um, something along the lines of um, just not wanting to be made into a fool or something. And, um, I think it, I think it hurt him and yeah, he was someone who, um, was having, I think he was someone who really needed connection. And so I feel like in a way, like I let him down, mm. it, it got, it got really tricky because I was trying to like, in a way be protective of myself too, but trying to have like a, I guess a dialogue with them. Um, yeah. Yeah, this is running on, sorry. But um, yeah, it's it, yeah, it's interesting how this is coming up for me right now. Because I do feel bad about that. Yeah, I mean, that sounds like a really tough situation. And <laughs> it's hard how like our, you know, sense of what is right can sometimes like blind us from the need for connection yeah yeah so that is one of my big regrets and I don't regret reaching out to him and trying to build a friendship with him but I do regret the way I handled some of it. Mm. I think I probably should have told him something like, I'm going through a lot right now and um, I just have, I, I have lower capacity right now for 
some of these these topics. Maybe something like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think he would have understood that if I would have said that. Yeah, I mean, a lot of us were not taught how to like set those healthy boundaries <laughs> or like to express. And it's it's hard with things like texting where it's really easy to reach out and also really easy to ignore. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's, I don't know. I was listening to this comedian a while back who was like, yeah, back in the day, if you, you just called somebody and you hoped that they answered and then you had to say, we would arrive at this place at this time and then hope they showed up. And now we just have like so much more access to people and what they're doing. And mm -hmm. um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're definitely in a different territory now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we definitely are. And the thing too is with, with the spread of information, it's really easy to go down rabbit holes and get kind of lost in these bubbles. Yeah. Like I've, I've definitely done that and it's it can be hard sometimes to pull yourself out of that and take a step back yeah, I I think uh, disconnecting from technology every so often is good. And mm -hmm. I've had, I've like met a couple of people where like, I'll like mention some kind of like really well-known meme or something. And they'll be like, what are you talking about? Like they don't like really use the internet or anything. And I'm, I'm almost like a little bit jealous because I'm like, well, you probably have a lot less like turmoil to deal with like we yeah. that out <laughs> yeah for real yeah. when i went on retreat last year it was like a, it was a blessing to just unplug from the phone just leave it off the whole time like yeah a week without a phone does a world of good <laughs> or even an hour <laughs> yeah hmm I don't know what to do for a ending question. <laughs> I have a weird question. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what article of clothing would you put on your pet? <laughs> so wait, does this have to be like human clothing or pet sized clothing? <laughs> um, either. <laughs> I don't know because I maybe like a really soft sweater because I would want him to feel comfortable I don't want to put clothes on him or make him uncomfortable so <laughs> he likes really like soft fabric so maybe like a cashmere sweater <laughs> that would be so cute <laughs> oh that'd be adorable <laughs> do you have a pet i don't but um the thought came up because i was for some reason remembering putting socks on my childhood dog <laughs> i thought it was so funny <laughs> yeah well i love socks on 
animals for some reason. <laughs> yeah, I mean, little mittens. I don't think like my cat would tolerate wearing anything though. <laughs> yeah. I haven't even tried. I'm like, I'm not gonna bother. I, yeah. I don't think he would, he would put up with it. Would not work out. Yeah. <laughs> or those little booties. You ever seen those like little rain booties that people put on? Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, he, he would not like that. He'd be like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. I guess that's all we have for today. So. That's all we got. Yeah. <laughs> See you everyone next time. Take care.